Hey, onesies, Josh Williams here, coming at you with another bonus episode of the One Man Podcast. And today, my guest is Howard Wagman. Howard is the owner of the Yuck Yucks in Ottawa since the very beginning. In fact, uh, yeah, Howard was one of the founding members of Yuck Yucks, was there from day one when they started their very, very first club in uh, Toronto, their very first room. And uh, we talk about that in this episode. We talk about all sorts of different things in the episode. Uh, Howard has been a, an important uh, part of a lot of comedians' development, uh, even you know, has gone as far to discover some talents that now the the entire world knows. Um, and we talk about that in the course of this episode. We also talk about what it's like to be in comedy for a long time. And Howard is one of the few people I've talked to on this show who isn't a comedian, but is very involved in the comedy industry, especially in Canada. So uh, it's a really cool episode. We tell uh, stories and things like that. And, and Howard, um, he's, he's a guy, I don't want to say he's a man of a few words. Um, I've just, I know that he's one of those people that, uh, that makes me nervous. I, and I don't really know why I think it's just because he, he says, uh, when he talks, I don't know, this is not a slag at him. This is just some people are, um, I don't want to say soft spoken, but, uh, Howard's one of those people that I just, when I talk to him, I just can't get a read on him, And it always throws me for a loop. Um, so you'll hear little elements of that over the course of the episode where I just, uh, I'm not sure if I'm either boring him or bothering him or maybe none of those things. Um, but definitely you will hear elements. You're like going, what is up with Josh? It is me definitely getting, uh, insecure and unsure of myself <laughs> in the conversation. Um, but that's not to say I didn't have a great time. I had a, a fantastic time in this and the talk was great. I just know at a few points I was sort of, uh, at a bit of a loss with, with what I wanted to ask next because, um, I find, uh, Howard's, uh, you know, a, a time and, and tenure in the comedy industry, very, very fascinating. And, um, uh, I know that very often in the regular podcasts, I can get a little overwhelmed with uh, just the direction I'm going, and I definitely go off in different directions. So you'll hear elements of that in the podcast. Um, but overall, some great stories, some great insight, uh, you know, as to to what it has been to be a part of Canadian comedy. It's uh, it's a good interview, in my opinion. So I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you have an opportunity to sit down and, and listen. And uh, hopefully I don't make it too awkward for everybody. But I had a great time uh, talking with my guest, Howard Wagman. And I hope you guys enjoy. Yeah! Thank you. It's been a long time since we had a chance to like sit down and, and, and chat and, and hang out. And uh, I've we've been. I think I messaged you, gosh, like a long time ago. Just like, hey, I'd love to. I heard a podcast that you had done here in Ottawa, and I thought your stories were fantastic. And I was like, I wanted to know more, but the podcast was like they hit a hard hour mark, and it was like, well, thanks for your time. I'm like, there was. We were yeah. just getting warmed up kind of thing. That was the Hatfield one? Yeah. That was the Hatfield one, yeah. yeah. And I just, I thought it was, there were some fantastic stories in there. I remember, um, so, I mean, this is a, a great opportunity. I'll have like a little clip at the beginning where I, where I intro you and, and yeah. everything that you've done. So rather than sort of just doing credits and making my guests uncomfortable with all their accolades, uh, you've been a, a huge part of, of comedy in Canada and, and comedy and specifically in Ottawa and some of the biggest names that have come from here, uh, didn't just, you know, start and come from here. They were under your direct like tutelage and, and guidance and things like that as they were coming up. So, um, I've definitely wanted to have you as a guest for a long time. Uh, so thank you for, for sitting down with me and, and hopefully sharing some stories and things like that. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so I, I like to ask some of my guests is before, like you've been in, in, in comedy for, um, since I was 16 years old. So let's see, I'm 60 now. Wow. Yeah. 
that's over four decades in in comedy that's amazing yeah yeah and and like i said i mean like we're i I don't want to just dive too fast into everything i kind of like to share who who you are with my guests is i always like to ask who were you before you got into comedy like I was a child. Because <laughs> you started at 16, right? Yeah, I worked at Baskin and Robbins. Really? Was that I, the only job you had pre-Yuck no, Yucks? No, I had a paper route. I worked stocking shelves. I, yeah, I did all of those jobs. Yeah, yeah, Here but, in Ottawa? Uh, no, no, in Toronto. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. That's where I'm from, Toronto. And um, at 16 years old, it was a lark. It was just, uh, Yuck Yucks wasn't even a business yet. It was just a place that we had on Church Street in Toronto that was a buck to get in on Wednesday nights. And we sold bags of chips at the back. And it was like uh, a bowling alley. It was uh, two rows with a, with an, an aisle up the middle. That's right. And, and uh, it was just, um, you know, a fun thing. Because Mark Breslin, who started uh, comedy in Toronto, basically, uh, he was the creative director at Harborfront, which is where he found out that there was a need. Uh, there were a ton of comics coming to his open mics at Harborfront uh, every weekend. And he said, we should really have a venue that's just for comedians. Yeah. And so he opened this place on Church Street in Toronto. One night a week on a Wednesday, like I said, a buck to get in. We sold bags of chips. Nice. And all the best people, Rick Moranis was one of the first people there. Uh, Larry Horowitz, who now runs the Humber Comedy uh, Program, Toronto. Um, Steve Schuster, who we lost a couple mm. years back. Um, uh, people like, um, well, the names might not mean a lot to you, but but just like, people who were like really cutting edge in the business and ended up making great livings and careers in this business. We're all doing it for nothing. Yeah. I remember, uh, saw a few years back, there was like a CD, uh, DVD set that was like, you know, the, the yuck yucks, like history of Canadian. Com- I don't remember the title, unfortunately, Canadian comedy or something like that. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Where, where Mark was sort of curating, the the history of, of yuck yucks and sort of how the comedy came up and i remember he's telling the stories like the bowling alley and he shared like some of the larry horowitz he had some clips of larry in there mm. and things like that and that's like that's huge like everybody who's doing comedy in canada owes a great debt because yuck yucks is the largest comedy franchise in canada yes so there's there's yucks in in if i'm not mistaken sure, like the northern territories there's yucks in every province in the country uh, not in manitoba not in Saskatchewan. Fair. Well, I think like overall, this podcast has received absolutely no downloads in Saskatchewan, and I think two in Manitoba. So okay. they're not very good. So everyone who's listening and has been listening, uh, we're available in your area. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's so sixteen years old is when you first started working. Yeah. For Yucks. Yeah. And was that that was in Toronto at that yeah. location? What did yeah. you do there? Well, again, it wasn't a job. It was a bunch of people who loved this. Right. And they did this. We just went and did this all all the time because it's what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was no money in it. It wasn't a job. But yeah, I guess we were working. We were opening the doors and we were selling things. But nobody got paid. Right. And you know, like it was a buck. It was a buck to get in. And we sold bags of chips. So there's no money. <laughs> right. There's no license. No liquor license. Right. In in fact, when we moved to a real location in Yorkville in 1978. Uh, there was no liquor license then either, but it didn't matter. People, there was a need, right? And people loved it. And the people that started to come, we're talking about Jim Carrey and Howie Mandel and Russell Peters, and all of those people came up through our amateur night ranks. Maurice Lamarche, who yep. did the voice of Pinky from Pinky and the Brain, um, Mike McDonald, who came from Ottawa to do that. Um, 
we're talking about people who became massive stars and we got to watch all of this ground level stuff and watch these people become who they were but we knew we were seeing something special right. we knew that this it's it's a very unique experience we were the woodstock of stand-up comedy without question we got to, we were a very few small group of people who got to live this wonderful time that it's almost impossible to describe yeah. how wonderful it was we would we spent all night there we did our shows and then after the shows everyone wanted to stay and they would just riff on stage and we would uh, we'd sip our sodas or whatever we were drinking because we weren't <laughs> right and 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 just talk about comedy and watch people try things out and watch Jim Carrey do his like rubber face stuff and watch these things happen Robin Williams came down one night and this was pre Mork and Mindy right remember yeah Nobody knew who he was, and we saw the most amazing things. He stood up in the middle of the room, and he did Hamlet. He stood on the table and grabbed a candle. Really? And, and started reciting Hamlet. And he was like a real buff in those days. Right, right, right. He, right. Was, like, he was like an athlete, and uh, his mind was sharp. And stuff like that would happen every night. Special things would happen every single night. Yeah. And I, I, mean, I can only imagine, I wanted to ask too, like, uh, just while I was thinking of it, because it's the kind of thing I'd love to ask later on, but, but while I'm thinking of it is, is Jim Carrey, like when he got into the movies, uh, from someone who'd seen him on stage, cause I've seen, I see those little YouTube clips, five minutes here, five minutes there, where it's like showcase stuff, but you've had a chance to see the guy headline and, and do 40 minutes and things like that is, is how big, uh, of a loss was it when he just went into movies and and didn't do stand up anymore? A loss, I mean, a loss for who? I don't know. Fans of comedy, because there's guys like Robin Williams is a perfect example from your story too, where is a guy who was wildly successful in movies yet still performed stand up comedy. Like he had a love of stand up. Mm -hmm. Did it? Did it seem like Jim was kind of? And this is not to to bring down anyways, it's, but it's an interesting conversation I had with people about guys who were huge in comedy and then went into movies and never looked back, and guys who were comics who yes. yes were successful movies but they they were comics at yes, heart you make a good point yeah um people like jerry seinfeld and jay leno they have the souls of comedians okay and they still to this day want to go in and do a free spot at their local club and they always will because right. they have the soul of the comedian you're right jim carrey had was multi-talented had so many different directions he wanted to go in in fact he told us early on that his hero was jimmy stewart hmm and he always wanted to do and be that. Right. And I think to this day, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he has not won an Oscar yet. Jim? No, I don't think I so. Think, I think it's, uh, again, I could be wrong. I don't want to speak for him, but uh, I think that that's his, his ultimate dream goal, to win a dramatic role Oscar. Okay. And I think he deserves to, and I think he should have for Truman Show. Yeah, he was great in that. There was uh, there's a couple ones where he just did an incredible job, like uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was yeah, another one. Yeah, it's a little too weird for me, but okay. Yeah, yeah, but in terms of just him being able to show, like, hey, I can I can do serious roles yeah, too. Like yeah. even Adam Sandler, decades into his yeah. career, started doing serious roles. We're like, wow, this guy's got some capabilities yeah. beyond you know dick and shit yeah. jokes or whatever. Yeah. Um, and and that on this subject of these comics, like Eddie Murphy is another one where he was wildly successful yeah. in stand up, but then movies and yeah. just never looked back true um so i guess maybe maybe my question would be is is seeing these guys in an early early part in their career did it stand out that this was someone who was like you see it um in in los angeles i was there one time and i could i could tell 
from the amateur level, not the professional by any means, but from the amateur level, I could see the amateur comics getting on stage in Los Angeles and I could tell which one of them were using this as a stepping stone into like acting or something and which ones were like, no, this is, this is a comic. This no is somebody question. who loves. You're absolutely right. A hundred percent right. And yes, you could tell, you could identify those people. Yeah. And still to this day, it's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything, forgive me for asking. This is just, I find it very fascinating. Is there anything, any maybe behaviors or something that you can see from someone? All I can tell you, and I've told a lot of people this, is that when I meet a comic, I can, I'm instant, whether I, I'm amazed or awestruck by them, I'm amazed at how easy the conversation is because it's a kinship amongst people who do this every day and, and who've lived this their whole lives. Even though I'm not a performer, mm -hmm. I've, I've grown up with comedians. I, all my friends, almost all my friends are comedians. And there's a way about them that's very easy. Um, they're, they're wonderful people. All, almost all comedians share a certain personality type. And I know you know what I mean. Absolutely. When Absolutely. You, when you meet a big star, like last week I met Ahmed Ahmed. Right. Um, who some people may, may or may not know. He's a pretty big deal. Yep. He's an international star. Uh, I mean, it was like I'd known him my whole life the, the second I met him because there's an understanding there's a of where you've been, where you're going, and the verbiage of the conversation. Right. You know? Uh, and yeah, you can tell that. And then you can also tell the guys who are what you said, using this as a stepping stone for something else. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. I don't consider it abuse of the stage or anything like that. Right, right. But there's a definite difference between Howie Mandel, Jim Carrey, and Jerry Seinfeld, Jay Leno. Right. Yeah, no, 100%. 100%. And you see, like uh, like I said, my experience has been very limited with it, but it's almost like people come in and it's like, like they're still on off stage kind of thing. Like they're like, I'm here to put on this performance on and off stage. Like I said, at least from the beginning level that I saw. Whereas summer, it's like, you know, they bring stuff to the stage and then they're, they're like you said, that sort of unspoken, like you kind of get that feel. This is a comic and yeah, you know, I, I, I like that. I wanted to ask that, that question about Jim Carrey and whatnot before, uh, before I forgot, because I still want to learn about you. You guys moved in uh, 78, you said it was? Yeah. To, to Yorkville. The, yeah. Was that the first like Yuck Yucks comedy cabaret or? Yeah. It was the first real comedy club. Yeah. Um, in 1978. Yeah. At what point now at this point, was it a job? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it was a job. It was yeah. like five bucks to get in. We had milkshakes and salads and burgers. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was packed every single night. Lineups down the street. Yeah. And I remember like now that was that wasn't the bowling alley one, right? Was no. it still long and narrow like that? Mm, I'm no, trying to remember. It was a real club. Okay. Um when you came to how long was it after that room opened that you came to to do the Yuck Yucks room here in Ottawa? Well, there was other uh, ventures in between. Um, I was sent to Montreal in 1980 to open that club because Toronto was off and running and very successful. Right. And um, that's where I made a lot of mistakes. We made a lot of mistakes and we learned from those mistakes and we closed in about a year and a half. Uh, I think the main reason was we chose to open an Anglo business in a... Uh, during the first ever referendum hmm. that wasn't too smart and we learned a lot of things about business that we didn't know we were young right um just about you can't expect to draw the kind of numbers you will on friday and saturday as you do monday tuesday wednesday thursday and the rent doesn't change on those days that's right yeah and it was a pretty big room it was like 250 seats and we had a holding bar and it was right downtown montreal oh, at wow. drummond and de maisonneuve which is um 
like half a block from the Ritz. And, uh, you know, I mean, rents in Montreal are cheaper, but still. Yeah. You can't can't operate with 20 people, 30 people, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Right, right. And that's what eventually was the demise of the club. Right. Even though it was a great room, really great room. And we had a lot of big stars play there, like Paul Reiser. Oh, wow. And... Yeah, it was a great room, and there was a, there was a competitor. There was the Comedy Nest with Ernie Butler ran, which he was there before us. There was a small but decent talent pool. Ron Vaudry was there. Um, Howard Busgang, who became very successful as a writer okay. in Montreal. Howard Nemitz, who also lives in L.A. now, very successful writer, and a few others. And um, uh, we and had, they were living in Montreal? Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, okay. And we had the time of our lives there. It was fantastic. But they're just it wasn't a sustainable business. It wasn't a smart move. But we learned a lot from those mistakes. We lost a lot of money. Mm. And uh, then uh, we were scrambling in 81 and 82 to regain our footing and, uh, you know, and take this to the next level. Right. Was that the first club, like, besides the Toronto one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so in 1984... Uh, Mark said, do you want to go to Ottawa and try again? And I said, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, it was either that or be an accountant like my dad. That's not going to happen. Right, right. And uh, nothing wrong with accounting, but it's just not my personality. And it's yeah, not fun. Likewise. I wish I, I wish I could do it, but I look at numbers, my eyes cross and roll back in my head. <laughs> my, my dad used to ask me all the time. He'd say, uh, so who makes a living doing this? Well, I said, it's going to be me because uh, it's what I want to do. Yeah. And uh, so... You know, I'd, I'd gone to George Brown College and I'd taken some food and be- uh, beverage and restaurant management and that sort of thing as my fallback. But I really wanted this to take off. So I, I did. I moved to Ottawa and uh, uh, March 15th, 1984. Nice. We opened up. There were two local comedians. There was one uh, by the name of Roberto Blizzard. And the other one by the name of Jeremy Hotz. Okay. So he was there from day one. So Mark and I rolled into Ottawa at the Beacon Arms Hotel in February of 1984. And those guys were standing there at the door in, in a blizzard waiting for us. Like, change our lives. Help, wow. us, help us change our lives. So we, 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 we got out of the car. We checked into the hotel. And they were waiting, just standing there, frozen in the snow. I, I remember very clearly. Yeah, yeah. And we went around the corner to Fat Alberts and had a sub and started talking about strategies. And that was uh, the very beginning. And then we opened March 15th, 1984, in what was then called the Beacon Arms Hotel, which is now called the Capitol Hill Hotel in okay. Suites. That's the one that, on Albert? On Albert okay. Street, yeah. And uh, it was a great comedy room. It, it took off right from the very beginning. It's like... It was like magical. Yeah, it's one of beginning. it's one of my favorite places to have ever watched comedy. It was my first live stand up comedy show ever. Um, I, before I, before I talk about that, because I want to talk about my good experiences uh, at that. That was one of my favorite places to ever watch stand up comedy. Um, I I honestly I think shy of like maybe Gotham packed with one of my favorite comics in New York, and of course the the comedy store, um, and it could have just been starstruck. You know what I mean, but uh, but yeah, I I love the the club on Albert, and actually, you guys moved here the month I started comedy ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. So I I had I've actually never had a chance to to get up on on stage at Albert. Um, wish I had, of course. It's still an um, empty space. Is it still empty? Yeah, they gutted it because it was unsafe. Really? Yeah. 
What happened? We had to move. It, it was it was an old building that needed renovation. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, yeah, the hotel has since been sold out of the family. It was John Horowitz and the Horowitz family owned it. Okay, there were ten kids, and they all had their turn at running it. No relation to Larry no, Horowitz. There's, okay, there's a missing O in the middle. Oh, it's okay. Just Horowitz. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Anyway, uh, they were not all that interested in running a food and beverage operation anyway. But then the inspector came in and said, "This this place is unsafe. We have to gut it." And uh, it, it just wasn't, no one could move back in. Right. Or they could, but it would be a million dollars and it's not worth it. Right. So we just moved. And we moved to Albert, or sorry, to Elgin Street 10 years ago. And we love this place too. Yeah. I remember I was at every single one of the opening night, uh, like opening weekend shows. Um, so I want to go, I forgive me. Like I said, I could, I could nerd out about that. Um, I want to go back to that, that moment. When you guys came to Ottawa, you're saying uh, Jeremy Hotz, and I apologize, Blizzard. Roberto Blizzard. Roberto Blizzard. Look him up on Facebook. Did you guys, now were these guys who had worked for you in the Toronto no. clubs, but they're like, we work here. So how did, did they know you were coming? They must yeah, have. Yeah, of course. So They used to travel to Toronto to do free spots. Okay, they so they had, you guys had worked with each other. It wasn't like you'd put up a sign coming to Ottawa and these two guys had just seen it and were anticipating. No, no, okay, knew. okay. That's amazing. That's amazing. And And was the, what, what was the scene like for comedians if you lived in Ottawa before you guys got here? Well, there were clubs before us. There was a place comedy clubs yeah, in Ottawa. Yeah, there was a place called Andy and Flows, run by a guy named Andy Windsor and his wife. Um, it, it was a real comedy club. It was on, uh, I believe, on Rideau Street, where Mavericks is now. Real? Okay. Pretty okay. sure that's yeah. where it was. And um, I not, never heard that name until just now, which is our agency used to book it. Okay. Um, it was pretty go. It was okay, but I don't know how well managed it was. It's, it's been gone. It was gone long after or long before we, we moved in. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And before that, there was a place called the Rotters club, which was mainly a punk bar, but okay. that's where Mike started. Mike okay. Donald, that's where he would go on and do hours and hours of material and, and rock the room. And, uh, that's where he got his chops and, I would say early to mid seventies. Wow. Yeah. That one I've heard of. And I heard, I don't remember whose book it was in, but some place called like Valentino's or whatever. Someone had a, a story. It was that like, maybe it was just like a one, one nighter or something. But I remember, I think it's in the book. I killed a Canadian comic was talking about some show they did at Valentino's. Okay. But I don't know. Yeah. Well, clearly I can't remember it either myself, but, but Mike was a pioneer and no Mike. So, you know, yeah. Rest everybody respects the hell out of him. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I I listen to all sorts of comedy podcasts, and even people in Los Angeles and everything like that, referencing Mike McDonald and and everything. All the guys down there know, you know, and and what he went through, and uh, yeah. So I mean, and he was. I remember the first time I I saw Mike at the Albert Club, um, and the lineup just you know up the stairs, out the door, down in front of the hotel. I remember that. That was that was fantastic. Um, did you have to be eighteen to get in? When at at Albert. Yeah. Yes. Then I was 18 years old when I, when I first saw a show and I remember who I saw my very first time I saw, I was myself and my, my best friend Mika and we saw Bob Keel, uh, was the first guy that we ever saw and, uh, he had short hair <laughs> at yeah. the time, no belly on him, but, but Bobby was, was great. One of the, one of the funniest things I remember just thinking like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. And because it was live stand up. 
I'd been a big fan of, of stand up comedy my whole life. Even as a kid, I used to stay up late. It was a big deal. My mom would let us stay up late and watch evening at the improv and, and some of the old like clips from danger fields and stuff like that. And it's funny because way back in those days, we had seen clips of guys like Russell Peters and things like that. So when Russ got his big break, what close to 10 years ago, uh, am I, am I right when that special, that big, that sort of big explosion for him, was that long, about 10 long, years ago? I think it was longer ago. Was it? It's very, it's very possible. I, I don't remember exactly what happened, but all I knew is that years before everyone knew his name, I knew who he was. I knew his, his, you know, his jokes, his show was very funny. And it's the same with Jeff Dunham, right? It's like as an example of someone who completely blew up, but it's not like they came out, did two years and then there were this huge mm. international success. They'd paid their chops, they paid their dues. And it was just one of those things where at the right time when when you get the right special, the right reaction, I think YouTube and, and the internet had a big help in that too, is that now mm -hmm. there's actually an opportunity to share. Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't have to be watching A&E at the right time to see someone, the right person. It's now it's, people can see what at any time and and, and see it there. Um, anyways, I, I had an opportunity Russ, to see Russ at the Albert Club, that was fantastic. Mike McDonald was absolutely amazing. Um, but I think going back to my, what I was saying is that I, I'd only ever seen like little showcase sets on TV, knowing what those are now. Now you see like five, six minutes, you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. And it is, but I didn't know that these guys would perform for an hour. And I didn't know that, Hey, that's gotta be a safe TV clean set. So when I saw Bob Keel saw like an hour and just watch, I, I, it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. I was hooked. We came back the very next week and we saw Derek Edwards. And that was, I mean, you know how funny Derek is. That yeah, was, one of my favorites. yeah, that was uh, unbelievable. The bar was set incredible, but I, I had seen, yeah, I mean, I could name all the guys. I, I know I would say probably for about two months straight, um, we would come every single Friday or Saturday night to see the show and we were having an absolute rest. It was, it was un unbelievable, unbelievable. And I couldn't explain to people what it was like. It was like, you got to see it. You got to, a live comedy show in a club is still, in my opinion, and it'll never yeah. go away. No, it's, I've seen great shows in theaters and arenas and I've seen really good specials, but something about being there and in a club environment, yep. the room small, everybody close. Yep. Like it's, it's a, there's nothing like it's it. It's a special experience that will never go away. And, uh, all the technology in the world and all of the innovation is never going to take it away. There's ebbs and flows. And this business has always been up and down and up and down and some big downs and some big ups, but I know this will never go away. No, absolutely. It's, it's one of those things that they say is recession proof being able to, to, to go in and forget because we're the escape, you know, when somebody, I mean, things are, things are tough. Nobody's, you know, that there's still, no one's found a cure for cancer yet or anything like that. That's people are in debt in this, and this is their opportunity to after working their ass off, especially in this city, Ottawa, the government workers, to, to be able to come to a place and be like for an hour, hour and a half, I'm going to forget my troubles. I'm going to laugh. I'm still going to, we're going to hear about those things, but I'm going to realize I'm not alone in thinking that they're crazy or going through them, whatever. I, I that's one of my favorite things uh, about stand up comedy. I remember, um, I remember we did a show at the, the Prescott one night and you and I were sitting at the table afterwards talking. I still tell people this story all the time is there was a guy who was, I, he was drunk and I don't know that he was heckling, but he was like yelling stuff out during the show. And I remember, uh, you know, you and I were chatting and then you, you happen to look over and see him from me like, Oh, here comes that guy who was yelling through your set. And I was like, Oh, but he came over and he said to me, he's like, Hey man, um, 
this week, you know, um, my mom died and I've been moping around the house and everything like that. My friends were like, you know, we're, you, you gotta, we gotta take you out, see a comedy show. So they came to Yucks and they were like, yeah. And he goes, he goes, you know, and I was kind of, you know, I'd been drinking and I was still feeling really bad, but he's like, but once, you know, once you were up there and you're telling jokes, like, I, he goes, I never, I never thought I was going to smile again let alone laugh. He's like, but I, I had such a good, he's like, can I, can I just give you a hug? And I was like, yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah, like it makes you feel good. Yeah. And I was like, that's, that's why, you know, for all the, the struggles you go through in standup, I'm like, that's one of the reasons that I like it. And I like what we do because I'll tell you every, every job I had before that, I never was like, Hey man, you, you sold me my cell phone. Can I give you a hug in my darkest hour? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. So that yeah, we make a difference. It's, it's a good, it's a good feeling. Absolutely. It was, it's absolutely amazing. And I still, I still love it. Um, I wanted to ask too, cause I have a million questions. Um, so at the, at the Albert place, you know, like I said, this is, this is after Jim Carrey, after the Robin Williams, um, at this point had Norm started. Norm started at the Ottawa club in 85 In 85. Okay. A year later. And that's Norm McDonald that we're referring yeah. to one of the yeah. funniest human beings on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and, and he came like, you were, you were one of his uh, mentors, if not his, like his only mentor. Well, what was that like? It was really cool being the one who discovered him. And yeah, I mean, it's not about taking credit, but I, I remember, you know how you have those out of body experiences where you remember where you were when you saw something that no one else got to see right. for the first time, something really super special. It's like being witnessing something that you knew just knew this is going to be freaking huge right and i was i know i still know in my mind's eye where i was standing when i saw him start to perform and when i saw him do the material and i still remember the material that he did that night and then he got off stage thinking he didn't do very well <laughs> like all the greats right <laughs> and he just he just left the club he, he started to walk out and down the street really and i had to chase him <laughs> I said, I told him, you got to come back here. You understand how that's the, what you just did. You've never done this before. And he said, no, not really. Not really, man. I've done some uh, public speaking, but no, no, that's my first time doing stand-up comedy. Well, you know, you're coming back tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. And you're going to get great at this and you're going to be amazing. Nice. Yeah. So you can tell right away. Just as like, And like, you can't tell right away with a lot of people. Right. Most people are a work in progress. Some of them are fast out of the gate and then they sputter. But you knew that this guy, he thought differently. He had a way of expressing himself differently. Um, he was just quirky and interesting and smart. Like the word genius, you don't like to use that word, but there's a few of them and he's one of them. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I still love hearing him. Still love hearing him. It's just the, the thought process you go through with him. And even his cadence. Some guys, it's just like the way they talk. Again, going back to Derek Edwards, it's just like what he's sharing is hilarious, but even just the cadence adds yeah. so much to it. It's, I guess it, it's, nobody can do what they do, but, but them, which I like in an act. Some guys, it's all the personality. I, I don't want to, you know, throw any comics on the bus, big American acts. It's like, it's all energy. If you took that material, you, you put it in somebody yeah. else. You're like, well, I'm just listening to you say it. It's not funny. But these yeah. guys, not only is the material brilliant, you yeah. can quote it, but nobody can deliver their right. thing like they can. Yes. They are just as much on it as, yes. as the material itself. Um, question, um, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it so it's not too long-winded, is being a part of these guys, um, 
development. Did you ever have somebody? So it's like it's kind of like a two-parter. Did you ever have somebody that you were like, you got to, you got to keep doing this? Somebody that you you wanted to help push forward, but just didn't want to do it. But then, then the opposite, someone who was just like, no, I got to have you. Like, look, you, I can't work. I can't work with you. Like, you know, I I know you want it, but there's just nothing. I guess it's like oh, that's that's the vast majority. <laughs> like, yeah, fair enough. But I guess I mean somebody that you're like, you have it, but what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like some guys in this business, not to, to say it's negative, but my my podcast listeners have heard tons of interviews with people in the business. Is some people it's like, I know you got it, but you can't like you gotta you gotta be able to work with the industry too. You know what I mean? I I yeah, I'm, well, like some I said, people are good club comics and they always will be, but they're never gonna get past that. Okay. You know. So maybe that's a be... good way. It's like somebody that you thought you were just like you got to be able to like somebody who I guess just couldn't get to the next level, but that had it, they had it yeah. to do. Yeah. There's a lot of people like that. Yeah. Anybody that you want to develop that just, they didn't want to come along for it. Like somebody like you've got it. You need to, to want it too. Well, they're usually just too introverted and too uh, like privately introverted. A lot of people don't know this about stand up comics, but the vast majority of them are people who have the skill to do what people's number one fear is, which is to speak in public. Yeah. Yet on a one-on-one, they're the weakest at it. Mm. So yeah, that's fair. I like that. I know I won't name any names, but there are so many people who. Uh, okay, well, I'll name one name. Okay. Mitch Hedberg, who is another one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. He would look at the floor when he was talking to you. Really. He couldn't look you in the eye. <laughs> He'd always look at his shoes, and he had that long hair that was covering his eyes. Anyway, yeah, 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 like a dog. Uh, fuck, he was brilliant, just brilliant. And unfortunately, we lost him very, very young, the heroin addiction. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's a perfect example of somebody who couldn't possibly do anything else, and was shy, 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 just talking to him. But he, he could go on stage and talk to a room full of strangers, no yeah. problem. Yeah, that's interesting. And I and I I wonder why that is. Like I don't have I've never really talked because you're right because I've met lots of guys who like you watch them on stage and um, unbelievable, brilliant writing, brilliant performance, you would never know that that person is incredibly uncomfortable like you said. I think that's I'm Norm was you know, like that too. Really? Yeah. Just didn't he was really awkward. Very awkward on really? stage. Yeah. It's so funny because these guys seem so confident. Well, Norm's not like that anymore. Right. But he was for a long, long time. Just to talk to him in a kind of introverted sort of... And a lot of comics don't fit into regular society and they can't talk to what they used to call non-coms. I don't know if people use that term anymore. Civilians. I, yeah. I mostly just like, oh, civilians. Like, right. like we're in the army or something That's like right. that. And they wouldn't tell jokes to just people off the street they would only tell jokes to other comedians right or within the circle yeah and uh, otherwise they were uncomfortable a lot of them are like that still yeah oh i've noticed it too i i find myself in uh in a lot of situations because i spend so much time talking with comics but i have a lot of friends you know just regular friends from high school and stuff and i find it interesting that like one thing is i mention all the time the great thing about comics and and people in the industry is if we're sitting here having a conversation about something taboo it's not that we attempt to do that but we're we're all questioning and challenging things that are the the topics of the day but i found that nobody ever in a in a comedy club or or a comics environment it's like 
why are you guys talking about this? You shouldn't be talking about this. I, I always say, it's not to say that everyone agrees with your position, mm -hmm. but nobody's going, guys, we're not supposed to talk about this. We, why are you discussing this, right? They'll just, mm -hmm. here's the topic that is at the table at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I've really noticed that talking with my regular friends, like if I'm to bring up something, you know, or if the, the conversation goes in a certain direction, you can just see people kind of pulling back from it. And I'm like, oh, the non-coms as you call them, you know, oh, no, this is something you guys are more comfortable to just not talk about mm -hmm. and watch on your own or whatever kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's almost like that, what you were saying about how comics are confident on stage and then they're awkward off stage. It's like people will awkward in conversation. They're not interested to talk about, it, but they'll, they'll watch other people talk about it in stand up or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going back to it. Another reason that comedy clubs are so important mm -hmm. is that people are afraid to talk about things. And when they get to come to a place, they get another, somebody else is going to take the, the stick and run with it. And we get to watch them talk about it and relate and stuff like that. And sort of, you know, uh, exercise it out of ourselves that way kind of thing. A lot of guys are like that. And I, and I think that uh, I really, I like that. I'm going to use that when you said, like, it's just the, there's guys who are confident on stage and then, but one-on-one -on -one, the absolute worst, like socially it's awkward. Very common. Yeah. Um, surprisingly, if I'm around guys like that who are uncomfortable, like socially awkward, I get really insecure. I assume it's something that I'm saying or something that I'm doing and it makes me uncomfortable. Like, mm -hmm. what did I say? And then I will go from being the extrovert that I am to super introverted. Like, I don't, I don't know what I did to piss that person off. And it turns out they're just kind of like that. They're very quiet, small answers. Mm -hmm. Like you said, looking at the floor or whatever. I just assume it's, I bored the person. <laughs> but, uh, so going from that, like, um, in the time that I started, so going from the Albert location to this location, how has the scene, uh, I guess, changed in terms of the talent pool? Because I'll be honest with you, I can't remember the last time overall, like Ottawa's put there some regulars. Uh, John Dore is a perfect example, right? John has been in that interim between Jeremy and, and Mike McDonald. Mm -hmm. where, did, where did John come up from? Here. Here in Ottawa? Yeah, right off our amateur night. Yeah. He started here? Okay. Yeah. So you've been a part of so many people's development or whatever. It's been fun. Yeah. Well, I know that a lot of Ottawa comics are going to are gonna listen to this. Is there any, I guess, advice or, or guidelines that you would give to someone who's trying to start? What's something they should do more of, less of? I keep saying it on our uh, Facebook page, New Talent Showcase. I keep telling them all the time, you need to come and watch. Back in the day, everyone used to hang out. Everyone used to watch. They don't do that anymore as, as a group. They generally, if I'm not on, I'm not coming. Right. And that's that's why? They, they're not learning faster. Mm. All of our staff, almost all of our staff are also comics. They've gotten better faster because they're here every night. Yeah. It's not just about watching other comics. It's about drinking in the environment and being part of it. You can't just go to the, I'm not going to name these places that do comedy once a week that aren't comedy clubs. Right. But those are so self-serving, really, and, and they don't serve enough of a purpose. Getting on stage just anywhere is not the be-all and end-all of, of growth. Right. You need to be around good rooms with watching really good comics and being around them and asking questions and talking to them and being part of the experience. Every yeah. Day. That's how you get better. Yeah. It's, you look at the people who are where you want to be and you you learn from them. I remember that was something that was big for me when I started was I now they're my peers, right? The other people on the show, the other amateurs, they're my peers. So there's a certain like, you know, I want to, I want these people to, to get along with me. I want them to like me. I want to belong. 
but there's also a level two where you got to go, like you said, it's like, you got to watch the people who are there. You got to be a part of the environment. You got to learn the, the I mean, if you want to be a part of this, you got to immerse yourself in it. And we tell them if, if it's a Thursday or whatever, and it's a night, we're not going to sell out. Just ask. Don't, yeah. don't just walk in and assume. Right. But if you ask and phone in, there's a handful of people who phone every week and come every week. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm not going to say that they're all going to become stars or, or they're all even going to make it, but they're going to get better faster. Yeah. They're checking some of the boxes off that you have to yeah. in order to grow. Yeah. And I think that's important too, because I mean, yes, like you say, you got to ask, you got to be around it, show some respect. Because at the end of the day, um, you guys are the comedy market. You know what I mean? So as much as you're part of the development and you're helping these people grow themselves, I, I think one of the things that I've tried to express to, to younger comics coming up and again, who am I, right? I'm only, I'm, I'm 10 years in, but I'm still, I'm still new. I'm still learning is I always say like, you got to keep in mind too, at the end of the day, it's a business. Do you know what I mean? Like as much as, as much as, you know, they want to be on stage and I want to do weekends and stuff. It's well, what can you contribute to the business? It's not just a take, take, take. So when you come, you know, uh, do you, have you developed the following? Are people going to come and see you? Are you going to be on time? Are you going to be respectful to the other comics on the show? Cause there's a lot of guys who will do their spot and then they leave to do, like you said, one of these shows, it's like, oh, I'm doing five minutes downtown at the show for five people. It's like, well, what about that headliner who's here on the show? Why don't you stay and watch him and ask him some questions? Because do you want to be like the other open micers who are doing that show for five people? Or do you want to be like the guy who's selling, you know, performing headlining for a packed room? Yeah. And that's not to say that you shouldn't do both. You should, but prioritize your time. I mean, Mike McDonald, even the year before last, before he passed away, he would come down here and not even want to be on he just wanted to be here yeah he wanted to watch the the new comics he wanted to talk to them afterwards and tell them what they could do to improve yeah he used to stand there but behind the bar drink his ginger ale because that's all he could drink at that point right and he would he'd say that uh, that person i like that joke he would say to me you know i'm gonna go talk to that person yeah i'm gonna tell him i got a good tag for that joke and he was like he just he loved all of this yeah. And that's invaluable. You can't put a price on, on having someone at that level, um, you know, who's willing to help contribute to your job. Cause that's, like I said, it, it, you can, you can hang out with the people who are at your level and they're going to sit around and talk about what you got to do in this business. And I used to always think when I was new, I'm like, well, how would you know? You're not a headliner. You're going to tell them, you know, you guys are sit around and talk about who deserves that and who you should can be learn this. From anybody. Yes, you can. Absolutely. And, uh, and I think that just being around the, uh, the headliners and the clubs, it does, like you said, it makes you better. You're getting that experience. You're putting the time in. I think, uh, that book, the secret, everyone's just like, well, just think that you want it and you'll get it. I'm like, that's not, uh, the way it is. But Greg Barrett comic, I heard him on a podcast a long time ago. This is how he put it. He's saying the thing about the secret isn't just believe it and you'll get it. It's immerse yourself in it. And the example he gave is like, if you want to own a boat, he's like, well, go down to the local marina or whatever and start sort of meeting some of the people there and talk to them and ask them questions you know if you like join the 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 boat club or whatever and meet people you know and go to their events and go sailing with some of the other guys and you know and then in in time someone will probably have a cheap boat they're getting rid of or whatever and they'll know you hey i know you're look boom you get a boat it's not that you wanted a boat and so you got it one day it's that you immersed yourself in what you wanted and that's how opportunities come and things like that. I think you're a hundred percent right about that. And I hope everyone who's listening, you know, 
as much as, like you said, there's value to those rooms, there's a, an exceptional wealth of value to hear, not just the room, but your experience, the comics that come through here. And uh, I'm sure you'd agree, it's pretty easy to get a comic to talk about comedy. Yeah. It's not like you got to pry it out of them or anything no. like that. Um, so yeah, in terms of, uh, of this place, you guys have been here 10 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, when it was January, right? January. Yeah. The opening act was Jerry D. Yep. Jerry D. I remember John Doerr was here. Jerry D was here. Uh, Mark Breslin came and I think he hosted, yeah. he either, he either just said hello and sort of, and, and, yeah, he and doesn't did his speech. anymore. He hasn't for a long time. Yeah. But I think either Mark was here and I'm trying to remember if there was, do you remember who else was here? The, the features or whatever. I, think. I know John, Jerry. Um, offhand. No. Um, I mean, we had a good roster. At the time. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. I saw, like I said, I saw all four of those shows. Yeah. Um, Daryl Lennox was one I mm-hmm. saw here mm-hmm. and I saw him three times. One of the weeks that he was at Albert. He's fabulous. fabulous. Yeah. You guys have an incredible amount of comics. And I remember it's funny too, because I mean, everybody, everybody knows that generally speaking in Ottawa, I have an affiliation with the other location. But when I started comedy, speaking of immersing myself, I remember I did a, I did a spot there and I was like, Hey, if you guys need you know, someone to work or whatever. I wanted to immerse myself in it. But I remember I was there and I used to drive the other owner crazy because I kept telling him how much better you guys were than his location in terms of the talent pool that would come through there. And this is something that I wanted to ask you about is I, I see the level of, of talent that you guys have been bringing out last month or sorry, last week. Was it Ahmed Ahmed? Yeah. He was here. You guys bring in Gilbert Gottfried, uh, Neil Hamburger. And I'm, I don't know if I'm mistaken, Emo Phillips. It's been a while. Been a little yeah. while. So you Tom, guys bring Tom in green every summer, Tom? Jer- Jeremy Hotz every summer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have Steve Hofstetter coming later this month. We have John Doerr coming in November. We have Josh Wolf coming next. Nice. Early winter. We've got, uh, I mean, we always, we do a special event at least every eight weeks minimum. And that's, that's really, really impressive to me because those are, those are big names. Those are, a lot of these names are not, forgive me to speak out of school. They're not like, uh, oh, we have Scott Thompson on Valentine's day doing buddy Cole. I don't know if you remember that. I do. I do. I, yeah, I opened for Scott in Montreal and he is, he's fantastic. He's absolutely fantastic. Incredible from kids in the hall. He's amazing. Yeah. That was so if I could ask, like, that's not easy to do in a club in terms of some, some big names because they're harder to get in. They're much more expensive, but I, I really appreciate the fact that you guys are doing that because a lot of clubs, they just decide, no, we're going to just put on a show. And whatever we have is good enough. You guys go the extra mile to bring in big names and have these special well, shows. Because it's about the love, Josh. It's yeah. about the love. Yeah. If I didn't get to do stuff like that, I, I, I would be bored. Yeah. If I didn't get to do, I like I I love our new talent program. I think we have, if not the best in the country, the best anywhere new talent program, and I get 150 emails a month, people wanting to do their six minutes on stage, and I have to turn away close to 100 people every month. Yeah, and I try my best. I always try to get on new people. And we always try to watch and make sure that we give more stage time to those who are genuinely showing promise and who come and hang out and do the, all the things you need to do to get there. Right. And you can tell when somebody catches the bug and they're interested and they, and they share the love, you know. And that's what makes this 44 years. That's what makes me want to keep coming here. And I still want to keep coming here. And I still love watching the show. And I still love hanging with comics. And it's still a passion yeah 
Well, and it shows, like I said, with bringing in like big names and just being here and seeing the guys develop. Um, that's something. So I'm going to just highlight some of those points that you said for those people listening. So for the new guys listening, be here, be around it, ask questions. Do you find, okay, so can I ask this? Maybe this might help some people. Um, do you want people to approach the, the, the up and comers? Do you want them to approach you or would you prefer some of them? you know, be, uh, be approached. Cause I remember, I remember being very intimidated by in the beginning only, but it's only because I know now that it's my insecurity. So you don't say a lot. Like, uh, you, I feel like you're a man of few words at times. So I, I remember feeling like I was bothering you if I was to come up to you after a show. So I was kind of like, I was trying to be, uh, humble and be like well i'll when when he wants to talk to me he'll come and talk and i'll leave him alone until well, yeah then. i mean uh, if i've got something to say i'll say it but as a rule it's a lengthy process and we okay. don't want anyone to put too much weight on one set they want feedback right away and i get that it's your ego and it's fragile and you, right. you just put yourself out there in front of a group of strangers and you want to know where this is going and you've got a million questions but one set 10 sets 20 sets is not a career right it, it's there's all kinds of things that i'll say like it's not a marathon it's it's not a sprint it's a marathon or um you haven't been on once until you've been on a hundred times yep or um if you're not doing this because you love it then you should stop because if you're looking for the money this is not a big money making business it's a handful of people that are really going to make a good living at it um it's like a, the kid in small town Canada who laces up his skates and wants to play in the NHL you better love this because your chances of making the NHL are pretty slim yeah so I'll say all those things to people and if they're still interested great if they're not and that discourages them then I know that this is not for them yeah yeah but it's... I don't mind being approached and people asking questions that's fine as long as they can accept the honesty of the answers right some people approach because they want you know they want you to say oh no you were great you were fantastic and all those things and that's it's not what a lot of people are going to get generally and, speaking it's and like listen a lot of people they come on for the first time they brought a room full of friends and they're on top of the world and they've never felt this rush like yeah. they they're feeling right now and they want to be validated and so then I have to play the curmudgeon who brings them down and I have to say okay let's see what happens next month when all your friends aren't here when it's a room full of strangers, it's a different set of circumstances, and maybe there's 40 less people here, and maybe the vibe isn't what it was. Yeah. But let's see you do that and bomb and not get too down, because that's what I'm going to tell you that when that happens. Don't get too up, don't get too down, because you're going to have a lot of mid-range. Yeah. And you you got to build on the successes and learn from the failures. Yep, 100%. The bombing is where, I mean, I, I've had good sets, but... You learn from the bad sets more than you learn from the good ones. Yeah. You know, it's nice to see something work. You're like, okay, great, it worked, but now let's look for the parts. That's always been one of my favorite things with the comics who, you know, like I said, the guys who you know are, are the good ones is they're never coming off stage going, man, I was so great and I just killed. It's like the ones that you, that are the best, you see them come off stage and as much as it would have been an amazing performance, you can still see them going, yeah, I missed this part here. Like they're always looking for an opportunity to, yep. to better. Yep. The, in my very limited experience in the business, the people at the very beginning who are coming off stage and are like, man, I destroyed and I was so good. I'm like, it's the ones that come off and are looking for fault and looking for ways to strengthen. I'm like, that's usually the one that, that gets it. The one who's not happy with the set 
generally speaking, is the most self-aware and mm-hmm. and I feel like it's like okay, I think they're I think they've got it more than the, <laughs> the other guys mm-hmm. because at least they're looking for ways to improve. Um, in terms of the up and coming acts right now, um, do you have anybody who it's like you got to keep your eye on? Any? There's lots actually. It's a really good time. Um, we're on an upswing. This business uh, creatively is on an upswing. And it goes in ebbs and flows, like I said. Right. We just finished the uh, Mike McDonald Summer Comedy Competition. And there were eight, nine people in the finals. And out of those nine, I'd say six of them uh, have a legitimate shot of doing this for a living. Um, the winner was Michael Lifshitz, mm-hmm. uh, who's been doing this a long time. Um, he's... Uh, He's got a physical handicap, and uh, he doesn't let that stop him. He he comes in his electric wheelchair. Sometimes it's hard for him to come in the wintertime. Um, but, uh, you know, he's got a good mind. But he's not at the half-hour stage. And you can't make a living unless you can do a half an hour. And when I say do a half an hour, I don't mean be on stage for a half an hour. Yeah. I mean command the stage for half an hour where you've got consistent laughs, there's no lag time. That's hard, really freaking hard, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there, Christina Muehlberger, who came second in the competition, she's got a ton of personality. She's got an improv background. Um, she's young, and I think she's got a lot of potential. She's starting to do road gigs for us Pretty now. Cool. Um, I like her a lot. Um, Tim Riel, uh, who won uh, the winter competition, uh, is already doing road gigs. He's got a good, very solid 20. Um, Out of the 150 people that do comedy in this town on a regular basis or a semi-regular basis, I'd say 20 of them have a shot. Right. Like, I mean, like a lot of businesses that people get into, especially in the arts, right? It's like like you said, if you're not passionate about it, if you're not you know, showing up in the wintertime in your wheelchair as best you can <laughs> to do it. I mean, you, you got to want it. Yeah. And like you said, I, I mean, I, I feel myself, I've, I've talked about some podcasts, so I won't go into it too much, but I've talked about myself kind of like feeling the spark kind of going out for other reasons, but I still love stand up. I still can't see myself doing anything else. Right. Um, any, any, any better. So for myself, but it's that, it's that grinding. You got to treat it like a business too. You know, like there's got to be a certain level of work ethic to constantly craft yeah. your your jokes and to show up yeah. and and to do them. Um, any any advice for the uh, the young pups when they're not doing so well? Well, it's like I said before: don't get too down or too up, yeah. because it's a long term game. Yeah, um, you might have you're going to get stuck at plateaus. Um, the first plateau is six minutes to perfect six minutes. A lot of them will come on and they'll try to work, rework the, the six minutes too quickly and they'll get stuck. And it's, it's taking bites at, at a time. You could be stuck at that six minute set for a very long time. And there's a lot of people who are stuck at it. There are many comics in this town who have a very solid six minutes, but ask them to do more. They may think they can do more, mm-hmm. but they really can't. Yeah. Yet. So you want to throw in, when it's going well, you want to open with your strongest, you want to close with your strongest, and in between is where you do the little testing. You've got to make sure that the segue leads into the thing you're testing. You know all this. Mm. And you got to make sure that the material flows so that it's, it's a proper monologue. But the mistake they make is they try to rush. Right. And you can't rush this. Don't do a different six minutes every week. Right. It's not, you're not going to get there. You've got to build the act in pieces and chunks. Get that six and then make sure it's perfect. And when I say perfect, that means it works every night in front of every audience 
every demographic, every room, you know that it's gold. Yeah. And then you try to get your 15 so you can split middle, which for people not in the business, that means making $50, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's a great way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're split middle, you know, you're, you're, you know, you got a shot. Then if you can get to that stage, th that usually takes a couple of years. It's, it, you don't want to dishearten people by saying that. Right. But the average headliner uh, in the Yuck Yuck circuit, it's taken them 10 years to get 45 minutes of material that works consistently in all situations. Yeah. Where you know that they're quote unquote bomb proof. Yeah. And even, and even then it's like, there's still, a, there's still that little, that point, that condom percentage, I call the point zero, 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 one. But, and I think that, that you bring up a good point too is, and it reminded me when we were talking before about these other rooms, there's, you're absolutely right is that don't be, I remember being affected by it myself when I started is because I'm performing with the same groups of people at different spots night after night, you start to be like, well, I don't, I don't want these guys to see the same jokes that I'm. I've hmm. been performing like a, Ooh, for the you last, mean, you mean your, your other comics. comics? Yeah. They understand. You know I mean? Well, that's exactly it. The ones who've been doing it long enough understand. Yeah. Right. And at the same time, I tell the guys this all the time. I go, comics are never the ones who are going to be paying you to come see your shows. Yeah. You know, they're going to be in the back of the room for free. I go, you want to entertain this audience and keep in mind, they've never heard that material before. Yeah. You know, so if you're doing all these little rooms where you're performing just for comics and you're like, oh, I better do something new. They've heard all this. It's like, yeah, no, work on the six, polish it, make it bulletproof. And that's the kind of thing that's going to get your attention or a club owner's attention to go, wow, I've seen this material work in front of several different audiences. It always gets a big pop here. It always gets the consistent laughs. That's the kind of thing that from a business standpoint, you have the confidence to go, I can put that on my show this weekend in front of a weekend paying crowd. Yeah. And it's going to do well. Yeah, you know? and that's another thing. It's a different vibe in the room every single night. Mm -hmm. you, you know when you walk into a club, at least if you're in clubs a lot, you know what night of the week it is just by walking in. You can tell. There's a certain vibe to the, to the room. On a Saturday night, it's date night. Everyone's dressed up. Uh, they have high expectations, but they're there to laugh. Absolutely. They're, they're paying a proper cover, uh, but their expectations are high. On a Wednesday night, it's kind of hit and miss. They know they're going to see some people who are not quite as good, but... Uh, there's some gems, and I love our Wednesday nights. I totally enjoy yeah. watching the new people. It's the 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 Wednesday nights are the hottest rooms, or uh, like one of one of my favorite nights for comedy. And because I remember when I first before I started comedy, um, I remember Wednesday nights. I used to always come here because you guys had so many so many different acts on the show with different styles and things like that. I knew for myself, like it was another show I got. And it was, like you said, vastly different from the weekend. And it's, it's a good lesson too, for an up and coming comic to learn as well when they're beginning, because when they destroy, as they call it, I'm doing air quotes for anyone listening is they destroy on a Wednesday and they're like, I'm the funniest person in the world. But like you said, that crowd knows what they came to see. They came to see, you know, up and comer night, pro-am night. Yeah. So their expectations aren't, oh my God, you better knock me over my side like Daryl Lennox or Jeremy Hotz. But then when you finally get that opportunity, when you've shown that consistency on the weekend, they have they they will also learn. Have you I'm sure you've seen that a hundred times. Guys who did well on the amateur night and then when they get their first opportunity in the weekend, completely different story. Yeah. Yeah. They're often out of place. Yeah. But listen, you gotta try or that's how you grow, right? You 
you just they come off and they they see the difference right you know? and they because they've done like 20 or 30 amateur nights and then they they do one pro night and they go wow that was different okay i understand now and then they they grow and they build on that yeah and it's like you said it's one of the greatest places to do it i've uh i i've got so many fond memories of doing the wednesdays and, and learning stuff and and doing the weekends um i think i've covered just about all the questions that i had in terms of that stuff but um you're still here uh for the for the guys on the wednesday nights i'm here twice a week now um i'm here wednesday night always and i'm here one weekend night usually saturday usually saturday so that i can see the big show and uh feel how things are really going in, in the the heart of the business so i feel like that's enough i've got a spectacular staff and uh, Chris Boris and Ashley Krachenko are amazing and they run the room and they're also comics and good comics and they understand the business and they understand my feelings about what makes a good show and they understand timing of the acts. They understand keeping uh, audiences respecting the show and all the little things that go along with making the whole experience what it should be. And so that, uh, if I didn't have that, I'd have to be here more. And not that I don't love being here, but I got a family and, and you paid your, you paid I, your dues yeah, 45 years to the yeah, business. I, I was, you know? I've seen enough, <laughs> not enough. No, that's not fair to say. I've, I've been, I was at a comedy club every single night for probably 25 years. And you paid your dues. You deserve this. You deserve some of those vacation hours banked. Yeah. 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 So yeah. And they know what they're doing and they love it too. Yeah. And that's important and it shows. And there's other guys, Mike, Mike and Mitch are amazing too. You know, they love this and they've got their own little show, their quirky little Mitch and Mike show, which yeah. by the way, on this Sunday, is uh, it okay? September the 18th. And, uh, we get a lot of hate, uh, on that one. Really? Yeah. Cause they're, they're the really outside the box sort of Neil Hamburger type acts. They're anti comedians. Oh, okay. And okay. they do stuff that people don't understand. It's satire to the nth degree. Right. And uh, a lot of people think that uh, they're getting ripped off because they're not really doing comedy. It's pretty funny. We get a lot of hate, in <laughs> and I have to answer it. I liked uh, I liked their their YouTube channel there. I don't think they posted. I could be wrong. Uh, either that, I'm not getting notifications anymore. But when they had their two straight men, I thought it was so funny because people need to know sort of the comedy dynamic of what that is. Is like there's the Abbott and Costello. There was the straight man and the funny yeah. guy. So they don't realize it's two straight men there is no punch guy yeah so hilarious but i think it's it's really it's a the, the mitch and mike thing is for those people who a enjoy comedy but kind of really enjoy the whole the the craftsmanship of it is knowing the tools that get involved and then seeing people use those tools in ways they're not normally used it's i, I don't know i find it very fun it's like andy kaufman that's the kind of thing they do did you ever get to see andy no no okay no uh you still do the the uh trevor's pad Trevor's yes, pads once do. a month once here. Once a month, yes. Because you've given a lot of opportunities for for comics to kind of come in and try to do their own thing too, which is a nice thing. Not to start a whole new subject, but uh, for up and coming comics to learn how to produce a show, mm -hmm. how to put a lineup together, yeah. how to promote something yeah. like that too, in and of itself, is a learning experience yeah. that people don't get at these one nighters and things yeah. like that. And very very important. Do you find that? Comics who do that at an, uh, you know, do you find that learning how to produce a show helps them as a comic? It depends on who you are. Yeah. Some of them just don't have that skill. Um, some of them aren't good at promoting themselves or a business. 
um, Tavis Mapleston, who's a local comedian, who's actually a fantastic writer, probably a better writer than he is a performer, is also a good producer. And uh, we do a lot of different things. Like he has this show called The Bad News okay. with Tavis uh, Mapleston, which is like kind of a John Stewart sort of a thing, Canadian version. And this month we're also doing a show a week Sunday called Who Wants to Be a 75 Yonair? <laughs> so the pr- grand prize is going to be $75. That's hilarious. And uh, they're going to get a bag of dimes that totals <laughs> 75 bucks. And just fun things. We yeah. like to do fun things. Yeah. You know, we do a lot of wrestlers. That's uh, right. Yes. We do we do NHL hockey players, retired NHL hockey players that have great stories to tell. And they draw new demographics to the club, who people who've never been here for stand up before. And then suddenly we're introducing new people to the club for the first time because we've reached their interest. Right. Um we're doing Jake the Snake Roberts for the third time in October. We've done Mick Foley three times. Wow. We've done uh, The Million Dollar Man. We've done um, um, uh, Honky Tonk Man. We've done a whole bunch of wrestlers, and it's great. People love it. Um, we do, uh, we had, during the summer, we had a very controversial duo called the Hodge Twins, who <gasps> yes. uh, are right-wing uh, uh, bodybuilder uh, guys they're Trump supporters. Right. But they're black. <laughs> and it's really fascinating because they're trying to teach black people that it's okay to to uh, be right-wing politically. Right. And I, I'm not going to say I, I agree with everything they say or, or what they do, but it's it was fascinating to see. Their crowd was not all black. It was half black and half white, old white guys with Make America Great Again t- hats. Oh, wow. And some people were put off by that. Some people were intrigued by it. But I love stuff that shakes it up. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I heard about it after the fact. I was like, well, fuck, that sounded like something I would have loved to have seen. I and thought we were going to get some protesters. Really? I, I guess it, it, it never happened. But I thought that was going to happen, and it didn't. And people paid $40 to see them. And sixty bucks to meet and greet. And the meet <laughs> In and addition, greet. so like 100 bucks to see no, the no, show no, and then no, meet. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And the meet and greet for me was the most interesting because the way they handled their fans, so professional. They made everybody feel special. Everybody got a handshake. Everybody got a picture. Everybody got a hug. They genuinely know how to be pros. Mm-hmm. Again, it, it doesn't matter whether I agree with them politically or not. Right. Uh, they know their stuff. And they, they have over a million followers on, on Instagram. And there's good reason for it. Yeah. And were they doing stories or doing comedy or? They were doing some comedy, some stories, um, uh, a lot of uh, political uh, statements. Um, They're trying to change people's minds about a lot of things. Interesting. But it was fascinating. Fascinating. And and I'm sure you guys talked. They'll be back again. They're going to reach out again in the future. They'll come back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope they do. I would love to see that show. It was something else. Yeah. Well, I'm like I'm like you. Anything that sort of stirs people up and, and stirs something up, like it's it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch. Yeah, there's always something good going on here. Speaking of which, for anyone who's listening, this is gonna come out on Friday morning. Um 
I'm going to be here uh, this weekend, guys. I'm going to yes, be coming in and doing some opening spots here, uh, doing some guest spots. Thank you so much, Howard, for having me this weekend. I'm excited to be back. It's been a long time since I've been here. Yeah. So come come out, guys. Come see the show. There's always something going on at Yuck Yucks. Always. And that's why I really wanted to emphasize that before is uh, yuckyucks.com, right? Not CA? That's right. Okay, yuckyucks.com, guys. Check out all the clubs. So anyone, all my onesies listening anywhere in Canada, there's great shows going on all the time at Yuck Yucks. So go to the website, find the club in your town, and see who's coming through. For my listeners here in Ottawa, I'm going to be here. But keep your eyes on the calendar because there are big shows all the time. Like Howard said, there's the wrestlers coming through. There's huge, huge name comics. There's big people with something to say, you know, like, uh, what were their names again? I apologize, the brothers? The Hodge Twins? Hodge Twins. Um, so there's big acts like this. So it's not necessarily just going to be stand-up comics. If you have somebody that you're interested in that's doing something, and if they if they email, if there's somebody that someone thinks should come through. Yeah, that's happened a few times already. Yeah. Steve Hofstetter is here because I got like five people that wanted him. And five is a lot for one person or them to ask for, who's basically unknown, but very known in the States. Yeah, Steve's big. He runs the uh, the New York... It's not the New York Comedy Festival. It's New York something. I think there's the the Devil Show. And he does yes. like something. And he he's got a podcast too, I believe. Right? Yep. And, yep. And uh, he's also very politically inclined. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's done a great job with with technology and the internet and all that stuff too to get fans. Um, but you're on this week with Peter White from Halifax. Uh, who's great, mm-hmm. and Kyle Hickey, also from Halifax, and uh, Dylan Gott from Toronto. All of those guys spent time making their living in England for a while, and they've yeah. come back, and uh, you're going to like those people too. Yeah, guys. Make sure, again, so the ones in the Ottawa area, 613-236-5233. Yeah, but nobody phones anymore. Nobody phones? No, they all make their reservations online. Oh, fuck. At I thought they At backslash Ottawa. Would you prefer they went online? Or yeah, would you prefer they call to answer the phone. Answer their stupid questions. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, so go to... F- Are go they to funny? Does, is that, that's the question you get asked? Yeah. Are they funny? No. I no, love, they're not, I guys. I love that. Shh, don't tell anybody they're not from. <laughs> I just can't imagine that it's like it's like asking the question of a server. It's like, so is this food any good? Like you, you know, you point to this, is this one any good? And they're like, not gonna be no, it's garbage. Everything is garbage on the menu. Right. You should just pick up your jacket and yes. leave. You know? No, of course they're funny. And I, I've I've seen a, a lot of Dylan Gott's stuff and heard a lot of it. I'm actually really excited to, to be able to see him. It's gonna be phenomenal. Yeah. It's gonna be phenomenal. Oh, and so Glenn I, Foster's doing a spot on Friday night. Is he? Yeah. So Glenn's here, that Canadian guy, another guy that I saw for the first time. I've seen him years on Just for Laughs, seen him for the first time live ever at a Yuck Yucks Club. So there's great acts, guys. And and really it's it's what what you've done and what you've been a part of in the in the Ottawa comedy community in most communities, uh, unprecedented. I am truly blessed to have made this a lifelong venture. Yeah. Well, thank you, because you've been a really important part to a, a lot of people's lives and uh even those of us who get to enjoy the the acts that you've helped, you know, curate and cultivate and, and Such mentor. Fun. Such fun. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Hey, thanks for doing this podcast with me. I hope to have you back another time. My pleasure.